What's up, all? Welcome back to the Rod Ben Ambassadors podcast. I am your host, Greg Moorhead, here with my co-host, Mr. Nick Phelps. What's going on, dude? Not much, buddy. How's it going? It, it's going. Um, had a uh, had a fun little day today. My dad shot a nice uh, shot a nice doe earlier today. So, when is that sausage ready? Uh, we're getting it. We're putting all in the hamburger this time. We're filling when's our that, freezers. When's that hamburger ready? <laughs> uh, probably not too long, actually. Um, Don't forget about a fat man. Don't forget about uh, him. I, you're, you're my, you're my fat bastard. I can't forget about you. That's right. That's all I like yeah. to hear. But you know, <laughs> if it's not too much trouble, put some bacon in that burger for me. Oh, uh, you know, just, just grind it up, throw it right in there. We actually, if it's, not, if it's not too much trouble. No, we actually tried that last year and uh, it, it didn't necessarily have as what we felt like as good a flavor as what our normal stuff does. So I know we're already off way off topic of fishing, but like <laughs> throw, get some beef tallow. You can get beef tallow. That's like, you know, mm. the fat from a damn cow. Mm-hmm. Throw that shit in there. You'll thank me later. Well, we already mix ours. We mix it 50, 50 with beef. So we get wow. some fat from the beef in there already. Um, yeah, of course, as per our normal, we go on tangent within the first minute of being on, uh, doing the recording so that's always and fun. anytime i can talk about beef fat i'm gonna do yeah. it well i i know because you're fat so it's fine i'm not too far behind you now though but don't it's you know it is what you it keep, is you keep staying home and not going to work you'll catch up <laughs> quick enough <laughs> that's that's what it is I'll, I'll just say that's what it is um well it's kind of a very short notice uh episode here um Threw a message out to Ben, who was on our second episode, told him that I was trying to get one in this week because Nick is going to be living it up in Vegas come Wednesday. And he threw me some suggestions and everything. And the fact that we are in steelhead season, uh, Nick is a failure at catching steelhead. Uh, I am going to probably be taking off. Well, actually, not probably. I am taking off tomorrow morning to head up to Erie to go chase some chrome. Uh, figured no better way to you know preempt that trip than have a guest on who makes baits for steelhead and salmon fishing, as well as a m- bunch of other ones. So we would like to welcome to the podcast tonight mr adam palmer from limestone bait company what's going on buddy not much how's it going fellas it's going it's going yeah you know i gotta sit here and listen to greg talk shit about the two times i went steelhead fishing with him and i'm starting to think it's him because i've been twice and both with him that i gotta be to work tomorrow while he's gonna be fishing i do i do too you know a lot of us do that's see that's the thing i think most people do Greg just lives a life of luxury. All right. I, I, I took no time off this year to have manternity whenever my kiddo was here after my wife went back to work. I just can't help the fact that manternity happened at prime hunting and fishing time. So bring that know, kid to work with you. I mean, what kind of an example are you setting for him? Right. You're sitting around your ass. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, um, I wouldn't be, I'm not opposed to whenever he gets a little bit older uh, to put him in a like hiking backpack or hiking, you know, K2 
carrier thing and have him on there and go fishing. It might be a little bit awkward trying to get the, just, the fly casting down, but I think I can make it happen. Just get him one of them little like dog backpacks, or like for the little tiny dogs, and <laughs> pop his ass in there with some of them, you know, little treats or something, just just like a dog, but for kids. Maybe then uh, you'll join the dark side and you'll be center pinning by then. Oh, oh, we'll get we're going to get into some stuff tonight then, Adam. I can already tell where this is going to go. Uh, so I explained to Adam earlier that this is a podcast that is obviously very fishing related and that we like to treat it as if it's just some buddies hanging around a campfire bullshitting about fishing and having some beverages. So, Adam, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, just Jim Beam and Pepsi. Got a big old, big old glass. Nice. Ooh, like it. Nick, what are you doing? Oh, I got to look. It's whatever was in my fridge. It's, I got a koozie on here. It's a stone hazy IPA, but the next one might be something different because I just got a few random things left over. Nice. I am rocking a uh, North Country uh, backpash, backpack stash. It's a hazy pale ale. It's actually very, very tasty. So that makes sense. You're both drinking IPAs and fly fish. It pairs. Oh, well absolutely. Together. Absolutely. It pairs well together. Oh man. We're going to, I do have a Subaru. I do have a Subaru. There you Not go. Me, God damn it. <laughs> it's my, it's my work car though. I mean, I do take it to Erie because it's better on gas than my truck, but I do have a Subaru. So, yep. uh, well, Nick, go ahead and, you know oh yeah the the, the the uh the icebreaker question yeah, i heard the there day. was questions coming yeah well there's a lot there's a lot of questions at the end but the first one is just to you know to see i guess if you have a sense of humor or not <laughs> um, but adam tell us and all 17 people who are going to hear this why you suck at fishing uh i suck at fishing because I still get excited, and sometimes I horse them just a little bit because I'm excited about it. For sure. Is that it? I mean, that's other not times, bad at all. You must. Other yeah. I'm going. I'm going fishing with you, Greg. You're out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've caught I've caught quite a few fish, so I still get excited about it. And sometimes I put a little too much heat on them. Or like the other day, it. I was I kept losing fish after fish because I could hook it, and I knew it was small. And I was just reefing a man and they were popping off the hook. But I cannot wait to blow up your phone with fish picks tomorrow, Nick. Let me tell you. No, oh, dude, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be making money. That's okay. <laughs> I, I gotta make that money so I can give it all the way to the casinos here in a couple of days. Nick, I wonder whose fish are gonna be. Oh, listen yeah. to this guy. Yeah, exactly. Listen to this guy. <laughs> Every one of them butt hooked. He ain't gonna tell you that either. Just oh, like a fucking, fucking Sir, Sir Snags I, a lot. <laughs> so I never knew about the term flossing until I was uh, on a case for work at uh, West Virginia University Hospital and started talking to one of the nurses and we were talking about fishing and everything. And he was saying about, he was going to go out and do some fly fishing or I don't even know if he was fly fishing or not, but he was going to catch trout that they keep live to then take to the bay to go striper fishing. Oh, okay. Um, 
And we started getting on the subject of like steelhead and everything. And he said, he's like, are you actually catching them? Or are you just flossing them? And I was like, I have no idea what the hell you were talking about. Just I talk about that dance move. Like from that's what I thought. It was. Years I was ago. Like, yeah. I mean, I get excited when I catch a fish and I mean, if I break out into a dance, I break out into a dance, but um, dental hygiene is none of your business, sir. Yeah. But I did not realize actually what that meant until we had like him and I had that conversation. And then I had buddies that were just up at the salmon river, which apparently that's how a lot of people catch them with fly rods is you do floss them because they're not actually eating because they literally are just going to spawn and die. So is that just butt hooking? Is that just like you're just butt hooking, right? No, No, flossing is like whenever you're dead drifting and you're just hooking them in the face without them biting. Yeah. So like you're just How the hell like do you really do you just like really pay attention to your drift and like a group of fish and like whenever it's like right there you just set the hook and hopefully you hook them in the face, I guess. If you ever go to Walnut, look for the guy who sets the hook on every drift. Well, that's me, oh. but it's on a rock. <laughs> yep. You'll see it a lot in places like that where they're setting the hook every drift. Okay. Because they're yeah. trying to set the hook more. in a fish. Yep, I think I, they do that on some of the salmon runs in Alaska. I've heard some shit like that. I just never yeah. heard it called that. Like when we were looking out for our, you know, maybe maybe forthcoming salmon in Alaska. Yeah, a lot, of, yeah. A lot of the places in like salmon, because salmon swim with their mouth open. Um, so guys are actually watching their bait disappear into the mouth and then setting the hook. Okay. A lot of times with steelhead, they'll be hooked in the nose and on top of the head. And Man, like I need that. to get my vision checked in. There's no way I can see that no matter how damn clear it is. Yeah. yeah. No, we're, I, I would, I'm very confident in saying that we are definitely not flossing steelhead. Oh, no. No, I'm just saying that it happens quite a bit. You'll see people oh. with, with two nymphs six inches apart and then you just rip them across their face until it hooks. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, we run tandem rigs, but not, not to that extent. I mean, we're usually yeah. going further than that and everything, but uh, we're going to get into some more of all this stuff. But I, had, I had that damn one hook that I got snagged the other day. I just let it, I just loosen up the line and let it fucking get off because I was running barbless anyway. I yeah, a lot of times yeah. I, ain't, I ain't grabbing that shit and taking a picture with it if I'm snagging it. Yeah. Yeah, a lot uh, of times no. I see. I'll hook. I'll just pull it and pop it and break it off and get it over with instead of trying yeah, to I, instead of yeah, wearing I'm, down, fight it in backwards and then try to almost all the flies I use. I either tie them and they're barbless or I buy them and smash down the barb. So I got to do is give it a little slack and they'll run right off of it. Yeah. yeah. So, Adam, you are. We're gonna. We need to like get into the other stuff before we just keep rolling in all this. Like, I, this I want to go back to beef tallow yeah but the whole episode of beef just just beef tallow uh so so you are the owner of limestone bait company correct yes sir and i knew nothing about you guys uh until the um keystone bass kayak series uh they had bait bags that you provided as prizes uh and i didn't win anything so i didn't get a bait bag 
So I didn't really actually look to see kind of like what the stuff was. I just obviously saw that, you know, on the Facebook posts and everything like that. Right. Um, but you are, you're based out of limestone PA. Yep. Yeah. Just South of Clarion, Pennsylvania. Okay. And what's the, I guess, what's the story behind limestone? I mean, give us the, give us the rundown. So it kind of started as a hobby during COVID. I was, you know, still working full time, but I was fishing a ton. Um, Cause where I work, I only work two days a week um, for 40 hours straight. And that leaves me with five days off every week. So I get to fish quite a lot. And with COVID, everything was shut down except for the fishing and like the hotels were super cheap. So I spent like the first two months of COVID in New York. Like the days I wasn't at work, I was just in New York fishing the Niagara River, um, fishing Oak Orchard, Bird Dam, uh, just just beating the creeks up. And the Oak is where I, uh, as I told you earlier, I never um, still had fished with yeah. like fly rod and everything until last year. Um, I went up to the Oak in November with my buddies I uh, went up for a day, spent the night, fished some of the next day, and then I came home. Um, but I caught one of the uh, the lake run like brown trout up there. Yeah. And literally after that, I was like, I need as much of this in my life as I can because that was so much fun catching that big ass brown trout on a fly rod. Like yeah, it was I got nine- ridiculous. I got nine of them on Friday. Damn, dude. It was a good. T- it was a good day. Uh, Kristen oh. and I went up to Bert on friday got three browns i got nine browns a king and a steelhead jesus all on all on my beads um so that's Uh, so keep going with sorry i I interrupted that but hearing about the oak just gets me excited because of catching that fish last year that's right i don't blame me a lot of my biggest fish have came from there um so anyway i was making or i was using up a ton of products like I was blowing through because I used to use a lot of another company's uh, beads. And I was like, I can, like, I started look, watching YouTube videos and stuff like that. and was like, I can, I can do that. I can make my own stuff. And so I kind of got into it. I spent like, I don't know, 500 bucks and got into it and started making my own um, paddle tail worms and beads, which is what I was using a lot at the time. And that's kind of snowballed into making now... I don't know, between 30 and 40 different baits. Um, everything from microplastics for ice fishing all the way up to giant swim baits for muskies and just about everything in between. Um, and I've kind of tailored it to like my needs and wants. Is kind of how I started. I was only making the things that I used. And now I've kind of branched into the other realms just pretty much based on demand. Um, about a year ago, last January is when we decided to make it from hobby into business. Okay. Um, we, we haven't quite been in business a year yet. And that's, like, that's pretty every, awesome. yeah, every couple months we tend to add a couple more baits and, or we have added a couple more baits every month or so. And now we've kind of got it dialed in to like the 35, 40 baits that we're going to continue to make moving forward. So did you get, well, I guess it's kind of two questions here, uh, for your soft plastics, 
did you go through like do it molds? Did you have someone make the molds for you? How did you, you know, uh, kind not, of go down that realm? Yeah, not do it molds. I kind of watched a bunch of videos until I could see like the different um, bead manufacturer, like different uh, mold manufacturers that were talked about in the videos. And that's, I kind of looked up to see what molds I needed and then quickly realized those molds were not the ones I needed. And so I had almost wasted the first investment I had put into it and had to buy completely different molds because those ones sucked. So it's kind of a waste at first. And, and then you said we, you, you do beads as well? Yeah. Yeah, I make 6, 8, 10, 12, and 16 millimeter beads for Steelhead. Huh. I have no it. idea what to even do with those things. Catch no, it's <clears throat> well, yeah. apparently I just don't know anything about them. Yeah, it's it's definitely a um, it's a learning curve, you know, just like anything else with fishing. But the uh, the reason I always like beads was once you have it, like once you have your leader and everything set up right, you can switch colors, sizes, and switch to a different bait in seconds. You don't have to retie anything. There's no other knots to redo or anything like that so it makes it super oh, clutch. Makes that it super sounds like something i need to get into then because i yeah it makes my, it super my eyes are starting like cold as shit and you don't want to have to retie well, your knots and- that's the one thing i hate about fly fishing is all the little tiny ass knots and the tiny ass tippet and the tiny ass everything else yep because you know i'm getting older and i I always forget to bring my uh, readers so I can look really like an old man on the creek. There you so go. Sometimes tying, I'm like holding it up, trying to find like the right background so I can see the knot and get that contrast so I can yeah, tie that's, it. That's what I always try to tell people too. Like with um, with one in beads, the more preparation you put into it, the much better time you're going to have on the water because you can pre-tie all your leaders and have them either on like a, a cup pool noodle or like a uh, a Lindy leader holder or a Max Pips box. Any of the three are great for holding extra leaders. And then that way all you're doing is putting a new leader on when you break off instead of having to completely re-rig everything. I, I'm going to go do some homework. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it definitely increases the amount of time you're fishing versus standing there tying. Yeah, and I can dig that for sure. Yeah. Adam, do you... Do you spin fish? Do you do you flate uh, fake fly rod fish with a center pin, or are you I mean, actually? I used, to, I used to fly fish, but then I like catching fish, so I switched to center pin. I I give I only say that in like complete joke because we have a buddy that bought one last year that he was like so gung ho about. He's like, I'm gonna hammer fish every single time we go up there and you guys are all going to be looking at me like oh man i can't wait to buy my pin set up and he still has yet to catch a, a fish on his pin set up while we keep like hooking them left yeah. and right with fly rods so That's a- well and i will say this like each setup has its type of water that it's better for <clears throat> like low clear shallower water the fly rods are better yeah, I was looking into even doing, I say on the trout side, I, I do like the tight line, Euro nymph kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I was like, man, I was looking that up the other day. I was like, I wonder if there's like some heavier nymph rods in there are, but then it kind of gets into like 
then you can't really throw some of these lighter flies as well. What um, um, what rod are you using for inland trout? Right now, just a Orvis uh, three weight, ten uh, foot. Okay. But I'm looking at potentially if I don't lose money in Vegas on upgrading to uh, Diamondback two weight. Yeah, um, ten ten, like one of the ideal nymph rods. Right, but, you know that's kind of. Kind of up in the air. I'd like to, like, I just started a year ago doing that. And, of course, that was a big learning curve. But, like, you start getting it. And I like it because, to me, you know, every other fishing I've ever done from saltwater to this with artificial lures and stuff has mostly been on feel and not on sight. You know, like watching an indicator, a bobber, shit right. like that so much. And so the Euro Nymph, you kind of, you do have to watch like the cider, but like you get a lot more feel out of it. You know, you kind of, you get a better sense of what's going on under the water with what you have attached to your rod. Get like a 10 foot six weight. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking, I mean, there are some companies who specifically do it because what, what, how they're kind of constructed a little different. They have a a heavier butt section and a much lighter like tip section um, so it's really like bouncy on the tip, but a lot more beef on the back end. So you right. can still like handle a big fish, but you have that like ultra sensitivity, which may not work good for something like throw in a rig with like anything else, like an indicator and a bunch of other shit on the line. Um, yeah. just because it's just going to overweight that, you know, and you're going to yeah. lose that. I got a buddy who fishes the Erie tribs in New York and that's all he does is tight line fly rod. Yeah, I like I like doing it, but you know, of course, I just bought like a standard, like seven weight. Um, the other day, I've just been borrowing shit. Like, Greg likes to poke fun at me, but I really, I'm just kind of getting my bearings underneath me for the steelhead stuff. Because even though there's a lot of similarities, there's a, enough differences that I'm kind of keying in on them a little bit. And of course, yeah. time on the water is is key, and I haven't well, really well, had that. Like when I always try to tell people who are switching over from trout to steelhead, don't overthink it. It's still just a trout. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's just a big trout. Like if and you I, see some you see people like. But I'll tell you, like ever since I got my Euro rig, I was just so dedicated to learn that. When I went back to an indicator for steelhead, like I almost fucking forgot how to mend. I'm serious, man. It yeah. was it was like I was almost reteaching myself how to do. Just the simple things that once you get good at, you start catching trout on like an indicator rig for trout. Um, so I was having trouble just kind of getting getting that together yeah, for whatever reason, is... probably because I'm just doing that tight line stuff where you're not mending. You're just trying to keep, you know, that connection down and worrying about your depth and all that and leading the right way, which is a little different, you know. <laughs> Right. Nick is also super new to fly fishing. Like he's only been doing it for two years at this point, basically. So yeah, this is my third season, I guess you'd say. Yeah. yeah. Like when the water's when the water is real low and clear, I'll still take my five weight. Like yeah. And go up like when I go up, I'll take my center pin and my five weight. And like I'll if it's um if they're real spooky, I'll switch to like a tiny little indicator and like one split shot and a bead and run for with my fly rod. Honestly, go ahead. Do you only run beads, Adam? Beads and trout worms. I only run my products. 
I mean, it makes sense. Like, I'm every obviously fish, every fish I've posted in the last two years was caught on my products. That's like cool on a couple of different levels. Like one for showing that your stuff works, but then also that aspect of like, cause it's the same with, you know, Nick, you tie a lot. Yeah, of I, 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 I totally get that. Like I always gravitate to go into mine because I just, you feel, I guess a little more sense of accomplishment when yeah. you catch something that you on something you created. So I, I enjoy it. It's just a little extra enjoyment. Not that I wouldn't, you run, like, you run like size eight white zonkers up there. Uh, I haven't really tied any steelhead flies. I'm just kind of okay. talking trout. So I did buy some just because I really haven't done, you know, much steelhead I will, fishing. I will like in the spring, I will run like a, uh, I'll tie up and run white zonkers up there because they I, work well. Yeah. I, I basically, almost exclusively tie for my euro rig now um right. so i'm doing you know like jig style hooks you know weighted and and fairly yep. keeping it fairly simple um so they get down in you know if anywhere from like 16 to 20 sizes with like two to four millimeter beads yeah um yeah we I have not had I'm trying to think actually if I caught anything on a zonker uh, not the time you and I were up there Nick but the time before that uh, I think maybe I did hook one on an olive zonker uh, and then we it kind of like ties into this because it's you know zonker isn't necessarily I guess a streamer kind of a streamer like it's a whatever I, in my mind anyway Um it's kind of but a Nick, leech pattern, mostly, you know, pretty. Yeah, Nick and I actually I both got uh, space setups last year. Uh, we have Reddington Dually. Uh, what are they, Nick? 12 foot, six weights? Are they 12 or are they 14? I don't remember. No, I think they're 12, 12, they're 12 foot, four weights. Yeah. Because they function like a six and a half weight. So yeah, because they're, catch... they're technically, I guess, trout spay, not like. Yeah. And um not like I caught one. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh swinging my buddy and I went up to Chautauqua last year in February or something. I mean, it was very very late in season and uh I was swinging like a black sculpin pattern and hooked into a nice buck and yeah. surprisingly like landed out. That's the biggest fish I've caught with that rod and I was very impressed with how it can uh it can handle, but, um, yeah, the, the whole eerie and steelhead realm and everything is still, I mean, I'm only going into my second season of doing it with a fly rod in my hand. Uh, I will say, and we can, you know, roll into talking about, uh, pinning and everything. I watched a guy last year in Manchester hole on Walnut there, it was only three of us in the hole, which I know that sounds impossible for it being Manchester, yeah. but I watched him catch 20 fish in 20 drifts. I mean, yeah. it was thoroughly impressive to just watch him sit there and just hammer fish after fish. And he actually even like let us move into the hole and moved higher 
like towards the shoots and still just kept catching fish. It was just like, Jesus, man, like that dude was dialed in for his drifts. What was he using? Uh, I think it was egg pattern, like a egg sack. Okay. But so you, you only use your stuff. You use beads. Um, What, what was your opinion on the whole big thing with like beads and the distances and all that stuff that came about? from the fish commission making changes and everything last oh, year he is like usual behind the game. That's legal everywhere else. And PA is finally getting with the times that was designed in Alaska for catch and release. That, Why don't you that, explain that, it? Cause I have no goddamn clue what you're talking about. Since I did not really <laughs> steal it. Like and, and there's probably some other listeners are like, what the fuck is this guy saying? Like, what are these the, rules and regulations? The system of running a bead two inches above the hook was apparently designed in Alaska for catch and release fishing by the guides because they were tired of killing fish on accident. So, so have you ever, like, with, with people, you're running them right on the hook, and then they grab it and instantly swallow it, and you set the hook, now that hook is down in its throat or in its gills or in its tongue. As were the bead with it two inches above, it grabs that bead and takes it down into its mouth. Now the hook is still out by the mouth. You set the hook. Almost all the fish I hook are either in the corner of the mouth, in the roof of the mouth, or right on the outside of the gum. Okay. I've, I've never choked a fish on a bead hooked properly. Yeah, last year. Um, but I that's up technically, and- up until this past year, it was technically illegal in Pennsylvania because you were running an empty hook. Yeah. Oh, I so, got you. Okay. Yeah. I'm following so, now. So last year, understandably being quote unquote illegal, um, I did catch one using like that method of, you know, having call the fucking in- cops right now. Go for it. It's fine. Send it to your probably, house. I probably Game have wardens. I probably have picture proof of that fish and I'll show it to you and I don't really care. But um I was I was actually very impressed with with that part of it that like you said Adam like there's that hit and you set the hook and that fish was perfectly hooked in the corner of the mouth and I was just like oh this makes perfect sense like I understand yeah. why we do this it's over and over again it'll be hooked in the same spot and it all depends on the angle that you're at compared to where your float drops you know, if it's right in front of you when it drops, you set the hook straight up in the air, it's going to be hooked in the roof of the mouth. You know, if it's down away from you a little bit, it's going to be hooked in the beak, like right in the tip of the mouth. You know, or if it's hooked at a slight angle, it's going to be hooked in the corner of the mouth. Like, it's yeah. just, it's really nice the way it works out like that. I mean, for those of us, especially who are trying to catch and release. Yeah, that's, and that's all I do. Now, like tomorrow, my dad has requested if i do catch a couple he would like to get some smoked fish so i'm probably going to make a um make a run to elk and fish there for the majority of the day and then i'll take off and go over towards the nut and see if i can get like one or two somewhere you know between the mouth and like between the marina and manchester or even like in the shoots or something like that so i could take the poor richards and get him a, a smoked fish because he's been begging me to grab him one so yeah. um now with 
with pinning and everything, you had made mention whenever you and I talked earlier about jumping on here tonight that you weren't necessarily happy with like what the water conditions were. I just looked before we got on and elk is running at like 13, nine right now, which it will definitely be probably down into like the 11 range, which for me in my very limited experience I have with this, I find that that seven to 11 range is like ideal for me whenever I've had my best days, it's been running in that area. Yeah. Pretty much anytime the water team, you're looking for that green water and the fish are more active. You know, they're not as spooky and you can beat on them. You know, anything with good flow is helpful for us with pinning. Like we need flow. Now, I know the the concept behind pinning is you just get that perfect, like snag free, super super long drifts. Is that? And I mean, again, like I said, I've seen guys absolutely murder on the on the tribs up there. How how does that equate whenever you go into? up into New York and going to the salmon. And I mean, like I said, I fished the Oak before and the Oak in my opinion is, I mean, it's even in some areas, I would say it's smaller than, than elk. Like it narrows down and everything. Um, Yeah. But I've had people say about getting out in Ohio and fishing like the Rocky and the chagrin and those places that, pinning would be phenomenal out there because you can just get these massive, massive long drifts. It is. It's great over there. How the bigger, the bigger, the water, the more, the more of an advantage we have. Now, why is it just because you get that longer drift or is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it, if the, the body of water you're fishing is wider, your cast, you know, to get to the other side, once you start to swing is going to be much shorter. You're going to be swinging in towards the shore much quicker than on a smaller body of water where you have a lot more play with your rod and you can, you can swing it downstream a lot easier, you know, without peeling more line off your reel. Okay. As where the center pin, we can just cast straight across into that, keep our rod tip high. So our lines out of the water and then it just slowly peels and our float and presentation stay right in that seam and go down as far as we want it to. Yeah. Walk, walk us through what a pin not setup only, is. Okay. Not only that, but the, I would almost argue the funnest part about pinning is the no drag, you know, it's strictly you versus the fish, you know, it's all hand control, rod control, to reel that in there's there's no drag ability on them at all it's just you so versus just, fish you're palming it the whole time yeah, yeah I, my uh my first time. fly reel was one i got from my old man and just had the little clicker on it and that was it you know yeah. so I, it was definitely fun learning on that yeah it makes it more intuitive you know it makes it so you're more connected with it it's not just like anything else with a re with a drag where you just you know, yeah, I, on, you're good. You know, you're okay. You just hold on to it and let it run and then reel it after it's done running. Yeah, I tend to set my drag really loose on my 
fly reels with drag just because yeah. I learned on a real you know, like a click and pull system. Right. So it really didn't have drag, you know what I mean, on it at all. So you had uh, bigger fish. You had to kind of learn how to feather it with your palm a little bit, you know, without snapping it off. Yeah, and that's that's the hard. That's the part that's really hard when you're first learning how to set up him, is when you get those first hookups and it takes that first run, because you have to grip it to set the hook, and then letting go very quickly to let it run, or else it's it's snap instantly. That's where most people lose a lot of fish when they're first learning how to pin. See, my buddy is having had trouble with casting. And right. actually like getting the cast and getting it set up. But yeah, walk, like walk us through like, I mean, as detailed as you want to, because this is something that Nick and I both know absolutely nothing about. And okay. I don't want, I don't want to say it's like a niche area for that fishing. Cause I know a lot of guys do it. It's definitely but, become popular. Yeah. But I'm just really curious and like how, I know the rods are super long and like that sort of stuff. So like, what is, what is your setup if you were going to be going to Erie tomorrow? Oof. All right. First one thing real quick, tell your friend, there's some great videos by Danny Colville on how to cast and then okay. go to, go to the yard, cut his hook off and just practice and look like an idiot with nobody around. <laughs> I and mean, it he looks like an so he looks like easier. an idiot no matter what, so that's fine. Right, but it makes it so much easier for whenever you go to the tribs, instead of practicing on the tribs, you know, run no hook in your yard and just practice as much as you can. When my wife first got into pinning last year, I made her go out in a foot of snow and learn how to pin in the yard. Like I literally shoveled her circles in the yard and made them targets for her to try to cast into. That way, whenever we went fishing, she knew how to cast. <laughs> that's so, that's some dead that's some dedication on both ends right there buddy right so my rods mainly what i like to run is i like kingpin reels and okuma rods because with float fishing i feel like the money is more well spent in the reel than it is the rod you know it's the opposite of like say with tight line fishing or euro nymphing when you need that rod to feel the bite and your reel really does nothing besides hold line you know it's almost the exact right. opposite where the the higher precision machine reels give you that perfectly smooth you know um spool when it's letting that line come off of that real nice without any interference you know, the tighter tolerances keep it from wobbling and let it spin much easier without effort um, and allows you the much cleaner presentations. And also the nicer, more expensive reels, 100% are easier to cast because to cast those reels, you have to get it spinning by hand to get it to go anywhere. So the easier it spins, the further you're going to be able to cast it and the easier you're going to be able to cast it versus say a cheap reel when you have to put more effort into casting it. And sometimes when you're new, you're a little more timid with the amount of pressure you're putting on the reel. So sometimes more expensive reels do really equate to easier castability. Okay. So currently, um, my main setups are a king kingpin R2, which is a five and a quarter inch diameter reel on a 13.6 Okuma SST 
rod. And then if I was only fishing Erie, I would run like a 14 to 17 pound main line. But since I fish New York so much for Kings and Lakers, I run a 23 pound main line. Now, then, is mainline like I'm going to ask a, some questions that may sound really stupid, but I literally no again know nothing about this. So, is your mainline on a pin setup the same as fly line, or is it different? I was, I was the way he's talking. I was almost envisioning closer to our bass setups. It's floating mono. Yeah. Okay. It's a mono. Uh, it just keeps it. Um, it's a little bit different diameter. Just keeps it to ride the surface. Or a lot of guys are even running Suffolk Siege. Okay. Or Suffolk Pro Mix instead of uh, the more specialty lines as their main line. And then you run that down to a barrel swivel um, and then run your tippet or fluorocarbon off of that. Like no. I, stole, I stole a trick from the fly guys. I run... Cortland Ultra Premium Tippet whenever the cricks are real low and clear because it's so thin and I think that gets away with a little heavier pound test than running cheaper fluorocarbon. But that stuff's huh. 50 bucks a spool. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's so that's somewhere you could probably start and I might do it and start looking at the um, if you're worried about diameter um yep. kind of the japanese bass fishing market because yep. they measure everything in diameter more so than pound tests and they'll kind of adjust their processes to get as much pound test as they can out of that diameter right if that's if that's what you need because that's what i do for um if you're not into bass fishing you may not know this but there's some uh, you know whole new kind of i don't say it's new but um bfs rigs which stands for bait finesse it's really just downsizing a lot of stuff, you know, ultralight casting stuff for bait casters and things like that. So I have a whole like Japanese rig basically um, where I got some braided line and, you know, you had to look at charts and stuff like that and figure it out. Like, you know, it's, it's not like what we find in the stores up here, but you could probably find some, you know, JDM Japanese, like fluorocarbon that would fit the bill and you probably, you know, Shipping uh, might get you at times, but you could probably get a shitload of it for a pretty good cost. Yeah. The last four smallmouth I caught were on my center pin. Huh. Anytime there's moving water. Yeah. Yeah. So That's any of the dam any of the dams and stuff like that around me, I'll take my center pin and pin twitch minnows for smallmouth in the creeks and the rivers. That would be crazy to hook into like a three pound smallmouth on a pin setup. I mean, that would happen. Bring an eerie when the smallmouth run. Yeah, uh, there's something I'm going to be asking you about that actually. Uh, so once you go from barrel swivel down, is that where you're putting your float and like? No, the floats on the main oh. line. Okay. Where so, does all your weight go? Because I know with pinning, you usually use like a shit ton of like different split shots and stuff underneath the, the float, right? Yeah, for the majority of the time, you're running a tapered shot pattern. Um, and that just means you're running big shot down to tiny shot. And that's so the that's so it, um, it goes through the water at an angle. 
because what you want to happen is you want your float to be upstream of everything when it's going through the water. So the first thing that the fish sees is your bait. Like that's why we run so many shots. You have your, your, um, your line will kind of be in the water at a uh, droop, kind of like a big J almost or an L it'll, it'll go down through the water at an angle and your bait will be the first thing they see. So they don't spook with all that weight comes through, but that lets you get down deep. You know, there's the say you were talking about Ohio earlier. There's places I fish that are six to eight feet deep in Ohio with, with pretty heavy current. And that's when we're using eight to 11 gram floats you know, and we have to use the amount of weight that balances those out. Um, and that allows us to get deep and then still run 20, 30 yards down through the drift. Man, like this is just fascinating to me that yeah. I knew, I knew a lot of the, like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into a number of setups with fishing and everything. Right. I just always felt that, in the very limited knowledge I had of pinning. Cause the first time I ever saw it was whenever we were on the Oak last year. Um, there was a guy that was doing it. And I said to my buddy, I was like, what the hell is he doing? Cause I, yeah. I literally had never seen it. And he was like, Oh, that's a, that's a palm reel for pinning. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he kind of like somewhat explained it to me about it being just like a, you know, the, snag free drifts and like it gets your presentations to be very like very good for you know better hookup ratios and like better bites and things like that um yeah. so man this yeah, is uh, say, like this is really interesting i will say places like walnut there's not as much of an advantage to center pinning as there is on a lot bigger water like the bigger the water you get the more of an advantage there is yeah, kind of like our spay rods like we're not taking those out to smaller creeks you know right yeah like, for... i have a separate pin made just for, just for like walnut and some of the other smaller creeks i have a four and a half inch reel on an eight foot rod okay so you're just... what's you're that all like you're all pinning all the time from the sound yeah, I, I have the I water's have really low i have four different pins that i take different places like I have a center pin just made up for the Niagara River. Yeah, there's some there's some big big fish up there. Yeah, but like but like with the Niagara River, sometimes it's really hard for anything to compete with float fishing, because like there'll be times when the water's real clear, we're running twenty five feet under a float. You're twenty five feet down from where your floats at. Yeah, we're running slip floats up there like an ounce, an ounce and a half slip floats. And we're running like a three quarter to an ounce and a half trolling weight on your line under the float. You're, you're totally speaking gibberish yep. to I'm, me right I'm now. It gets it's... wild. I, I get it. I've done that on, I did that on one of my bass rods just to sit on like a lake shore, one of these stock trout lakes with some slip floats, but you know, and some weight. I, mean, I just use like bobber stops and stuff because it was a much smaller setup probably than what you're using. Yeah, literally, like sometimes when it's super clear up there, you're using like a five and six foot leader, um, a tiny little six millimeter bead, and literally 20 to 25 feet underneath the slip float. It's wild. 
Yeah, I give it a week. I, I give it a week. Greg's gonna be texting me. Look what I got. I got a new no, Cedar Pit no, set up. No. I'm gonna Dude, watch all these videos. I He's gonna go uh, back and listen to this episode like four fucking times. <laughs> I if you want to, uh, do it, we'll go fishing. and I'll show you in person. That's when he, that's when you'll really buy into it. So I I didn't tell you, Nick, but I bought a swim bait set up. Yuri, I knew you were. Yeah, I did. You have fun with that. Every <laughs> every episode, your your old lady's gonna be calling me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You get him to buy all this shit. I'm like, "It ain't me. It's all these damn guests he brings on, and they like one thing, and he's gonna go buy it." What do you mean? Finesse fishing catches way more fish. Well, that's what I do. But he he yeah he's Ben. If you listen to episode two, Ben was all about the big glide baits and shit like that. That was two weeks ago. Now, now Greg's got a swim bait. Yeah, like was, just a dedicated swim bait rod. Yeah, it's it's an eight foot three mag heavy fast action, and I got a a four hundred size Daiwa or not Daiwa, but a Abu Revo Beast reel. You better go start lifting weights with that big fucking broomstick. Yeah, I'm just gonna be sore at the end of the damn day. Yeah, I'll I'll sit there with my little finesse rig. Oh, have a couple me. beers I, while you're hawking and chalking, and I'll, I'll still have the finesse set up with me because I still enjoy fishing everything. But I'm, it wasn't just Ben. It's been something that like has intrigued me, seeing other people use big baits, and I just feel like it is definitely not something that is done around here very often, unless you're fishing for musky or pike. So I think that yeah, there, there is there's some there's some folks I see online who are really into it. So it's, yeah. I think it's a more common than what you think Glide? it is. What's that? I said, are you planning on throwing like big glide baits? Yeah, yeah, like big, like mega bass, like mag drafts, and right. uh, you know that sort of stuff and everything. Dude, you not... really, you really need to get back to work if you're going to get in a swim bait fishing. Like, you need to make some damn money. Yeah, they're expensive. If you're going to go buy two hundred dollar lures and some no, dumb I, shit so like that, I, I'm not going to do that. I actually <clears throat> have been talking to Ben quite a bit the past couple of days and like sending him stuff that I'm finding and I'm staying like under the $50 price range right I now can't because... wait till you get a $49.99 cent lure <laughs> hung up in a damn tree and can't get it out uh I don't even want to think about I'm it I'm gonna laugh oh it's yeah. gonna be so funny yeah and then I'll laugh at your face <laughs> whenever I catch some like eight pound large mouth at Keystone or something okay all right yeah. he's gonna get yeah. bit off one Okay. Yeah, or I'll, or I'll get bit off by a muskie out there by a bit super aggressive, like 20-inch tiger muskie will come up and smash it and snip my line, and there goes $25 in the down the drink. I'll just catch the thing. I'll just catch my yearly muskie on whatever the hell I'm throwing. You know? That need to be a uh, big bait. Exactly. But um no, it I have nothing against people like the the pinning stuff. Like I said, I was totally joking about the fake fly rod thing. Um, he I wasn't. Do. Don't <laughs> listen to him. Uh, he absolutely he hates you. I just like I <laughs> just like being able to. Ma- no, I see. Like that's what I don't understand. I and I think it is unfortunate. Well, we're weirdos, Greg. Some people get so locked into what they're doing, and we kind of do a little bit of everything. Like I don't care. I like the fish, man. Like I, yeah, but- I got buddies. We might have one of them on just to shoot the shit that they're big cat fishermen. You know what I mean? You know, they got in the river, 
they put all their damn rods out. They put the little fucking jingle bells on the top and they sit there and they wait. I think like, that's for cool. me for like, I guess maybe specifically just with stuff in Erie is that, and Adam, you may have had more experience with this, with having pin setups and everything is I get very frustrated and it's not really happened to us. I mean, it has a couple times, but the, the thought of people getting pissed off because you're doing a drift in the same hole that they're fishing in, you're catching fish. They're not, they get angry. So then they like try to start like shouldering you out of it by like moving up the stream or like low holing you or something uh, or like undercutting you on like the next drift and everything. Like, I just don't understand that mentality. Like it's a fucking fish. Like there's thousands of them just walk 10, 15 feet further someplace and catch and like do your due diligence and like switch your stuff up and try to find the pattern that's working and catch fish. Like, I don't understand the people that get severely pissed off by that and start, you know, having issues with, you catching fish beside them and they're not you literally just described my favorite situation in erie <laughs> i love that 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 is the reason i fish erie to just I, piss people I, off i love catching fish in front of people <laughs> that's great like, you're just a, you're, a, you're a natural troll aren't you like just dropping floats at someone's feet Oh, I, that's I, I I literally live for it. That's my favorite. I love dropping floats and just watching. You can watch it build in someone. Like every fish you put in the net and you can just see it build because they're not catching anything. And they got 20 fish laying in front of them. And that's a total fucking dick move right there. <laughs> Sorry. But, but you know the back part is... is like, they're cool and they're they cool if they're cool and they come up and they ask me what I'm using, I'll literally give them what yeah. I'm using. But like just to watch them have the inner turmoil and blow up inside, that's that's the best. I had a guy last year up at Walnut. He watched me catch like a dozen fish out of the Manchester hole. He was fishing with his two teenage kids, and finally after like forty five minutes, he comes up and he's like, What are you using? And I was like, beads. I was like, these two beads are slamming them right now. And I gave him a handful of them. He goes down. Like five minutes later, he's hooked up. Within 25 minutes, he's got three fish he had caught. And you know what? He didn't give a single fucking one of those beads to his kids. Because he said they beat him the day before and were rubbing it in. And now that he had the upper hand, he wasn't going to fucking help. Fuck them yeah, kids, like, man. I say that. I say that. I hope my kids can hear me. <laughs> my kids are probably listening to me. Like he's talking in the damn himself again. Just pissed <laughs> off. Fuck them kids. He was. You know, he was just happy as shit that he was catching fish and they weren't. That is hilarious. That's like an all-time power move by a dad right there. Like, yep, fuck off. I'm not giving you what I'm using. I had a guy last December, a fly guy, come up to me, and he's like, I just want to watch. And I was like, what? He's like, I just want to watch how you do center pinning. He's like, I've only ever seen it at a distance. 
And he's like, normally it's a group of people and I don't feel comfortable going up and asking them. But he's like, but you're by yourself. So like, can I just watch how you do that? And I was like, sure. Like, have at it, bud. Like, and he's like, that's just so simple because it is like, once you get it in the water, like there isn't all the mending and stuff like that. It's great on like long drifts. Like you're literally just sitting there with your rod to the side, like rod laid over on the side. And it does all the work for you. And then when your float drops, you just squeeze your hand tight and set the hook. Like, That's... it's so, it's so, I don't want to say easy because, like, learning how to do it is hard. But once you get fairly good at it, it's so much easier. Well, it's just like with anything else, man. You put the time right. into it, then then you figure it out. There's a learning curve with, right. with everything. I You know, you look online, and when we're doing bass fishing, there's 10,000 conversations a day as I'm trying to get my first bait caster, and I don't want a backlash all day. And then I hate, I hate bait casters. I love them. That's all I own. I don't own I a single, I don't own a single spin, um, reel. So even my super light setups, that's what that bait finesse is. I can throw one 32 ounce lure on a on a bait casting setup and not backlash. I wish. Yeah. You know, skipping and all that shit. You know, I like, but, you know, I was young when I got into it. A buddy had one. I was probably 17. And I bought a Shimano Corrado, like with some birthday money or some shit. And I know I blew up, blew that goddamn thing up many times. And the, uh, like the internal braking systems were not the way they are right now for the high end rails at all. So like, I actually had one previous to that, that I probably would have never kept going if I didn't get that Shimano. It was just like an old Abu Garcia ambassador. So there was just a knob, you know, there's no like internal, like magnetic brakes, nothing like it's, it's all thumb. And that's it, you know, and yeah, but I'll teach you. It'll teach you real quick. Either well, you fucking hate it or not, yeah, or you'll educate your thumb real quick. That's becoming the new trend is people using bait casters for float rods. Yeah. That's I mean, so that, that BFS stuff that I use was actually kind of, I don't know if it was designed so much, but a lot of people, especially overseas, use it for trout fishing. Okay. It, it was made like as you can throw like trout magnets and shit like that of that size with it. Yeah. Um I've never tried it with that just because you know normally I don't know. I enjoy cussing at my fly rod, I guess. So I take my fly rod out for trout fishing and then you know, bass fishing, I'm all big caster all the time. Yeah. See, I love trout season. Like, PA trout season is almost like the end of my steelhead season. So by the time that gets here, there's some there's some bigger streams, you know, within 20, half, 20 minutes to a half an hour for me that I like to trout fish. And I love to take my center pin. If you want to see some fly guys get mad, take a center pin around ones that have never seen one. There was a guy that was uh, that was pinning up on the Shannock this year. Yeah, we went we went up there and uh, my one buddy and I and we were like, holy shit, that guy has a pin set up <laughs> like, yeah, it was, was kind of crazy. Well, I, I take like, I, I steelhead 
like my 13 foot steelhead pin to some of these bigger creeks and just switch to like a six gram float and pin the entire run you know like these big outside sweeping turns i can cover the whole thing in one drift and like just it's so bad because i'll run like a trout worm and just the the way you talk about like fly rod guys getting pissed off in your center pit is like somehow they also like same dichotomy between that and some of the euro nymph guys because it's just a different style and we can Yeah, you they, tend to they, catch they, more fish on a Euro nymph, but also like it's more to me, it's more keyed into a different style of water. Yeah. Um, so all like it's perfect for like pocket water and smaller drifts where you probably, you know, wouldn't get may not be set up in time to run it. You don't want to do a long drift. You're doing a lot of short drifts right. and a lot of key areas where a lot of people will walk past where it may not be the money hole you know that's holding 30 40 fish but there could be five fish in there and everybody's walked past it all day and it hasn't got any damn pressure Um, and that's the beautiful thing about trout fishing in general is they like so many different places that it it opens itself for all the different yeah yeah i look for something different you're a nymphing now than i do with that and i like it because greg knows like i don't like fishing in a crowd you know, and that's the one thing I hate about fly fishing. So I try to do it during the week. I actually prefer it when it's like freezing ass cold, even though I don't like the cold, it just thins out the crowd. And then the Euro nymph thing allows me to do even more, allows me to get to spots that everybody's walking right past. And yeah. I'm like, this is perfect for me because I know it's going to hold a few fish. I go in there and grab them out because they just, you know, you know, a standard rig with an indicator it's just not getting set up in time and i'm getting down quick and i'm running out like you have five feet to make it happen right and and so and that's what that rig is like just i don't know if it's just designed for that but that's where it really shines yeah like there was a day last spring i took a buddy of mine and he was fly fishing with flies like was really trying to get one the right way and after the 18th trout i caught on a bubblegum trout worm he was like, give me one of those motherfuckers. Like, I give up. Like, I just can't see you reel another fish in. Because it, we were in one hole. It was just a big outside bend. And it was just loaded with fish. And he was just like, I fucking quit. Like, give me a goddamn trout worm. Now, so kind of a, a little bit of a pivot point here. You, obviously, you're making all the stuff that you're using for your salmon, your steelhead and trout and everything. Uh, where are you at in terms of like the bass fishing realm and everything? Uh, are you making stuff for that or is it only by request or no, I'm actually, that's all I've been working on for the last two weeks is drop shots and meds. Okay. Um, because we're doing the Harrisburg sports show in February. Okay. The great American outdoor show. We're going to be set up there for the week. So we've been, cranking out baits like mad trying to get ready for that i think Uh, um my dad and i usually make a trip out there but maybe if nick's available we'll do a little tag along and i've never been to that show so i would love to take a look and i'd like to see some of your bass lures like greg like i'm you know i i haven't really been into you know the competitive side of fishing ever so he's gotten a little more into that so i Honestly, never heard of you, man. So it's a good 
I'm glad that we're talking and I'm going to check out some of your baits and stuff. And I'm a, I'm a big soft plastics guy when it comes to bass fishing. That's like yeah. 80% of what I do. Um, so I'll definitely reach out Run and a lot of drop shot grab some product from it. Yeah. Yeah. Drop shot, Ned rig, stick bait, you know, all the, I was told some, specifically some shit like that. I was told specifically to ask Adam about his drop shot baits because Ben swears by them. He says they're phenomenal. They have ridiculously good action. Well, and Hansel, Hansel loves my uh, four inch grub. He runs it as a chatterbait trailer a lot. Okay. Like we were at the, um, the Clearfield show this past spring and I told him how I like to run the four inch grub as a trailer on chatterbaits for Pike. And he's like, I never even thought about that. Is it like like, a double? Is it double tail, single tail? Like what's okay? He's like, why wouldn't that work? I was like, I don't know. I've never ran it for bass, but I know it it slays pike in Canada. So, so he gave it a try, and he said it it works great. Yeah, trailers are a weird thing, man. Because like one grub give you the same thing. Will make a chatterbait turn on its side funky. You know what I mean? Especially if it's single tail, because it's just not it's just not keeping it horizontal enough. And another one will just absolutely give it the best action. So you just it's trial and error for for trailers um on baits like that for sure. Right. Yeah, for bass, we make a uh five inch stick bait, we make two different style four inch drop shots, and then we make a two point eight inch um ned bait. Okay. So, uh, do you run any type of uh, last tech kind of stuff, or are you just normally plastisol and that sort of thing? Plastisol. Okay. Yeah. So the the cost the cost benefit I don't know I can't ever justify it for the elastisol because it's almost double. Okay. For our for the the small guys, it's almost double the price in plastic for plastisol as it is for regular. Like for a lot, uh, it's almost double. Like, I mean, I use some of that, as you know, Greg, some of that Z-Man stuff, but also as much as I run like Yamamoto stuff, which is some of the softest shit out there, mm-hmm. um, sometimes when they get a little beat up, man, I'll catch, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it feels like they work just as good or better once a couple yeah. fish have put it in their mouth, you know? I just have to keep like biting off the like the eighth inch on top and then re-rigging it and keep using it. Yeah, so we tried to find like a happy medium between um, tons of action, but it rips on the first hook set, and no action, but it lasts all day. So right. we're trying. We tried to find like a happy medium with the different blends of plastisol, and we've pretty well narrowed it down. You know, if anything, we've shied a little bit onto the more action but less durability see i i'm i'm perfectly fine with that i mentioned it in another episode because you know greg's over talking about 50 dollars swim baits like a six dollar plaque of plastics i don't give a damn man if i go through like four of those a a trip great that just means i'm catching a ton of fish right i'm all for it and it's not at the end of the day money well spent Right, we tried to make it so you're not just losing them on hook sets, like you are right. some of the other stuff like that, where you set the hook and it comes back with no fish and no bait. But you know, I, I tend to, to I, I fish grass, so I Texas rig a lot. So it's kind of like you know you have a little more hook around everything anyway. Right. So even if it pulls off 
where it's looped in the top, like it's still kind of on the bottom end of the hook. So I just bite off a little bit, re-rig it. But yeah, like I'm, I don't mind spending a little extra and having that action and not, you know, I'm still not worried about losing them. Then the right. day, and we've, we've 50 uh, cents or something like that. I spend way more on way stupider shit all I mean, day. You spent, you spent what 60 bucks in gas to get there. Right, exactly. Like the, a, a pack of plastics, um, and then having and losing maybe an extra three or four during the day is yeah. maybe I'm you know spoiled and you know and there's people out there who do have to worry about that and I understand that, but I guess at yeah. this point in my life, you know, I work, I you know, I, I that a six dollar bag of plastics isn't going to make or break me. So right. I'd rather have something that I know works and has more action than it's going to just guaranteed to stay on the hook all day. Like, yeah, yeah doesn't matter. Cause sometimes it's like when they get beat up, I think that like, you know, starts releasing that salt a little bit. Like I've watched dudes like pros who will literally just take like a knife to their soft plastics before they even throw it just to kind of get that salt release and shit like that. So when a fish does grab it, like they're grabbing it, you know? Right. Are you yeah. doing anything with, uh, with sense at all? Um, pretty much the only thing we're scenting right now is our stick baits. Um, our stick baits are all scented garlic. Um, we've contemplated scenting all of our bass baits garlic, but that's it. Uh, some of the trout baits, the only reason we haven't scented them is because there's a lot of areas that you cannot use scent, like for the artificial bait only and things like that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's. Let, then, let me let me ask you this real quick before before you move on with this. Okay. So last year on Nishanik, I or it may have actually been even this past spring, we watched like three people stand behind the Nishanik fly shop and throw gulp minnows and hammer fish left and right left and right like just fish after fish after fish every cast that's not technically allowed to be used there if i'm not mistaken is that is that right, right? i mean you might know a little bit more about this because of like the scent and everything yeah and gulp uses natural bait fish scents like i believe gulp has natural bait fish oil in it mm-hmm. which would then make it not artificial yeah we and like my one buddy and I looked at each other and we were like, because it'd be no, that's, that's super shitty, but like no one came down and said anything. And I mean, like, what are you going to do? Get in a fight in the middle of a stream with like some 20 year old kids that are fishing? Like, right. It, it but okay. There, go there's on so much gray area. And I don't think anybody's, I don't, maybe it is, and I haven't seen it, but I don't think the word's been put out enough to like, this is exactly what we mean by this statement of artificial only. Like, clarify it. Right. And here's one of the reasons why I don't scent most of my stuff. I've had days, for steelhead anyway, I've had days um, because I run all my my plastics are non-scented, but I carry three to four different scents with me on the water. Um, because I do feel like scent matters some days in some situations. So my favorite scent is anise. That's no secret. Like anise is a steelhead color. There's huge steelhead scent. So 
I had a day last year where I was crushing them on my 10 mil chartreuse bead. And all of a sudden, like after an hour, the bike just kind of died. So I signed them up, nothing, fished it for probably 10, 15 minutes, took that bead off, went back to one that was unscented and a different side, went to a little bit smaller one and they fired right back up. So, but if my bead was always scented in that, would they have bit in the first place? I don't know. Yeah. So I yeah. like have choice whether I want to send it or not. I'm going to like get a bottle of anise and go out there and dip my like crystal meth down in it or like my, oh, you my be- nuke eggs or just, something. Or- just crush up a bunch of pizzelles from the old church ladies and dip your lure right in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, um, right. Using sound on flies. Yeah. Uh, I'll be so I don't really use all that much, but you know, there's back in my saltwater days. Um, I say back in it, but like how it is now, still on the coast, there's a lot of dudes who use scents all the time with like soft plastics. Like, there's some plastics out there that are kind of geared to that uh saltwater like bay system, redfish and shit, where they have they literally have pockets where you can take your like little tube of. Um, procure or these other scents that they make and just like squeeze a bunch of this shit in this little pocket in the soft plastic so it's just like a constant you know release of that stuff right. which is pretty damn ingenious if you ask me procure. you could do that yeah procure is like a big one down there um last year nick the uh that trip we had out to moraine i think that i got covid right after whenever like we got out there and the water was like really crappy and everything that the only bass that I caught that day was on like a garlic scented, like big ass, uh, like stick bait that I had. So, I mean, I'm sure there's obviously a time and a place that was very dirty water. So I feel like that would probably be the more ideal time to use that. But I mean, I don't use it enough to have really a no, like one way or the other, if that is the case or not. I always have a couple of those sticks of like, you know, they look like fucking chapstick um, and my saw plastic bag, but I like hardly ever put it on because I just don't think about it, to be honest. But like, if you go, you watch some of these YouTube bass guys, like Greg Blanchard for one, like he uses it quite a bit. Like when the bike gets tough, like the dude's always reaching for one of those and rubbing fucking scent all over it. I, I just don't think about it enough on the water, even though I like, I have some sense on me normally. More scent would matter. What's that? I didn't I hear said, you. Lower the presentation, the more scent matters. Right. The more they're staring, sitting there looking at it, the more they're going to be able to, you know, when the scent kicks in. So everything I've read, it's at least for bass, it's maybe less of that. And I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but it's more of. Once they get it, they're right. holding on to it. They're holding on to it a little longer, you know, yeah. that it's not spitting it right out. Um, so it just kind of increases hookup. But like then I see, like I said, I see dudes do it when the bite's slow. So there's you're probably right, you know, in the sense that, yeah, you know, if you got to do nothing bait, especially in clearer water, that they're able to really take a look at then yeah they're gonna they're gonna start biting that a little more but again it's 
I don't have my own empirical evidence of any of this because like I said, I just forget to use it most of the time. Like, oh shit, I've always had, it's always at the bottom of my, excuse me, soft plastic bag and I just never remember to take it out. Or does it fall under a lot of other things where if you're confident in it, it's going to work? I think that's a lot of everything in fishing yep. all the time. Like, I had to go catch fish. Like, you know, this is how I do it. You know, instead of, yeah, I think when you're confident in it, you don't give up on stuff as easily, too. Right. I'm guilty of that. Like, a son of a bitch. Like, and I know that's what I'm doing when I'm out trying to steal it, fish the two times I've been in two years. Um because I get frustrated and I'm I'm probably like overmending or just doing some technical shit that's wrong because I'm just frustrated. Um, so honestly, what I gotta do, Greg, and this happened when I started getting into fly fishing. I went out with uh you and Tommy and some of these other dudes that you know, like what two or three times. I wasn't catching dick. I wasn't doing nothing. And then I just went out one day by myself where I could just take it slow and not feel like I'm overdoing anything because I don't have to worry about chasing anybody or following anybody and just do it on my own. And I caught like eight fish that day and like a light bulb just like went off. Like I figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And and even though it's like the same shit, I think I just need to, I might need to run out to elk one day on my own. Or if I go with you, just like, I'm just going to like, you go where you go. I'm going to go where I go. We'll meet up later like we do when we're bass fishing anyway. And then I'll just sit there and figure it out, you know, instead of following you. And, you know, because I don't know these systems like you know them, shit like mm-hmm. that. I think that's probably what I honestly need to do. And that's where I've had the most luck on any kind of fishing I've ever done is just not following somebody into it. It's just figuring it out, like taking all the tips I've heard, taking all the shit I've learned and then just slowing it down. Right. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's reasonable for that with anything. I mean, I definitely in going with guys last year and going up to Erie and uh, fishing for steelhead, whenever I did, you know, I had, I had, some good days with them, but I also had good days by myself and just doing my own thing, figuring things out on my own versus, you know, listening to them or them giving me the tip of like, Oh, Hey, I'm using this color pattern. This seems to be working. And I think if you just put like a little bit more effort into it on your, on yourself, whenever you're fishing by yourself, then it, you know, it gets you more in tune for like the next time that you do go up you're like, okay, I was running, this length of a leader, I had weights here. I was running a tandem, this top, this bottom, like that sort of thing. And it just allows you to, you know, get a better, better judge on your abilities and, you know, your knowledge base just kind of growing with it and everything as well. And also you don't feel that pressure of like, you're seeing your buddies sitting there and catching fish and you don't want to, you know, not saying no one would, but you don't necessarily want to be that guy. Be like, Hey man, like, can you help me? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Like, why am I not catching fish too? Cause you just don't want to be like that guy. I did that the first couple of times fly fishing. Cause I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And now I know a little bit, you know? So now I just yeah. have to tune in the steelhead side of things, which is similar. But like I said, it's like, I, I did last time we went out, I did feel like, um, one, I'm, I'm, I always felt like I was fighting the gear just a little bit too much. Cause I wasn't too familiar with the rod. Um, not that that's a 
sound, sounds like an excuse a little bit, but you know, you kind of get used to how your rod handles, um, not speaking sexually, uh, but uh, learn how to mend and, and do all that shit. Like certain, you know, once I got used to my current stable of, of rods, not speaking sexually, you know, you, you figure out the little well, that, details. You, that's and, definitely speaking sexually for you, your current stable of rods. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like to grab them with both hands all the time and then just chuck them out there. Yeah. There speaking sexually. Um, so Adam, you, where do you see uh, limestone going for you? Like, are you wanting to gear more towards one thing versus the other, or do you want to see see no, it we're as to, we're everything? Pretty, yeah, we're we like to have um, something for everybody. Um, because I think it makes I think it makes sense, man. Like you got different seasons around here, so you're able to sell shit year round instead of like I'm only doing steelhead shit. So I'm probably gonna sell shit from October to fucking March and then it's gonna die down. You gear up with right. the bass guys, then you have March to October, you know. Right. Also made this last year extremely hectic, like trying to figure out when I needed to have what made and like trying to keep up to the seasons. And like trying to keep up to the seasons, you're actually behind the seasons. So you need to be ahead of the seasons. So it's like right. for next year, we're much better prepared knowing when we need to have what ready, you know, to be able to get out to people. So you yeah. say you say we a lot. Do you have partners or is it like my wife. you're your okay, you're your wife. Yeah, my wife. Right. Oh, I didn't know if you had like the empirical we of a business. I'm a business owner. Sometimes I say we, but it's like me and like yeah. my employees, you know. What I mean? So, but it, yeah, I just just uh, curious. I didn't know if like there was you and some other people who were partnered up with it, or no. it was just a you know kind of a one. I call it a one man show, but you know, there's always uh, you know the the loving wife behind you know supporting and shit like that. Yeah, like I do all the hot shooting, like I deal with all the hot plastic, and then she helps me pull all the molds and hang them all up and stuff to cure, and then. Uh, like my parents helped me bag them, we bag them, and get them all ready to go. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been a team effort in this last year, getting to where we are, to where we did a couple small shows to now where we're doing Harrisburg next year. So went from went from doing little shows like in Erie and stuff like that to doing one of the biggest ones in the country. So and you said you started during COVID, huh? Yeah, as a hobby, like it was. Yeah, just- that's man. So many businesses popped up. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, I was uh, kind of partially laid off during COVID, and I started cooking barbecue. And then I asked like five people if they wanted, it. they bought it, and they told their friends, they told their friends to where I was like trying to keep up with like a hundred plus pounds a week or so to vac seal and send out, you yeah. know. So I, I that's not what I do now, just because I don't want to do food service. Um, but it's just amazing because I'm not, you know, I talked to you, I've talked to a lot of other people I know who just totally shifted yeah. their frame of mind and like career aspirations during that time. Cause like, I guess, you know, idle time, man, like, right. what are you going to well, do? Was, You're going to find something to do to kill to, to sit on the couch, you know, I wasn't even off for COVID. Like I never missed a day of work. Like I was thankfully slash not thankfully an essential employee 
So I got you to listen, work. You listen to Greg. He's never missed a day uh, of work. I got to work the whole damn thing. So did my wife. So we never hey, missed I, a day, the whole thing. I never, I never missed working during COVID either. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, but then when that stimulus check hit, it was like, well, shit, I might as well just invest this into like my hobby. And then it kind of grew from there. That's, yeah, why uh, not, man? Especially you were doing it for yourself, and then it just took off, man. So yeah, like, kudos to you, dude. That's, that's pretty awesome. Where, like, it kind of got to where like I had a shitload of baits made beyond what I could ever use. And it was like, I need to fucking either like give these all away or like make this into a business because this is getting ridiculous. So this is the point we just added a 20 by 20 addition onto the back of the garage for um, a new shop. We're going to be moving into here in the next few weeks to help increase production. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, bait making is something that, um, that is like kind of intriguing to me and everything. I, there was a point in time where I was keeping all of my soft plastics. Like after I had used them, I was just throwing them in a bag yeah. uh to hold on to them because i was like oh maybe i'll buy like a mold and then like i'll just get an old microwave off of facebook and like melt this stuff down and like inject some molds and see what it looks like then i was just like i just don't need to even be pissing with that like that's right. i'll let someone else do it so plus, if you're that? gonna buy a 50 dollars swim bait you can afford to go buy like a regular ass 50 dollars <laughs> new microwave <laughs> God damn it, get off of me about that. And Adam, Adam, you better stop spilling your secrets because Greg might be coming after you with his fucking substandard shitty ass plastics that he's going right. to start creating soon. He, he, he's looking for like trade secrets right now is what he's doing. He's like, I'm going to be a plastic maker. That sounds fine. so cool. This is what I want to do with my life. I'm going to do it by remake or remelting baits. That's the worst way because those all have water in it. So it's like missing water. Yeah. When you they're all going to be different colors, so they're all going to look like brown. <laughs> There's no other color because he's going to mix the purples and the greens and the fucking reds all together. <laughs> it's, it's Greg's. It's Greg's poop stick. Greg's poop stick. That's right. There we go. That's right. June bug and green pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, we're gonna wind things wind things down here and everything. And again, Adam, thank you very much for. Uh, very somewhat last minute taking time to uh jump on here so we can get an episode out this week and yeah, no it's been pretty yeah it's been pretty cool we actually have learned a lot um so in addition to the question at the beginning about why you suck at fishing we also have some rapid fire questions wait the- before we do this you gotta oh. like adam yeah you gotta tell us where to find your baits where to do all that kind of shit unless you're gonna do that at the end because i haven't heard that, that yet okay yeah, great we'll wait till oh. the end I just hadn't heard it, man. I don't know where to find them. Where am I no, going to spend my money at? You're good. Um, so these are very generalized, just rapid fire questions that we're asking everyone. So number one is whenever you were driving to, we'll just say the Tribs up in Erie, what are you, uh, what are you listening to on the radio? The Tribs in Erie or the Tribs in New York? Because that's a different playlist. Uh, do both. So the Tribs in Erie is almost always early 2000s alternative. The Tribs in New York is normally like trashy rap music because Tribs in New York, we always like dedicate one person and the rest of us drink on the way up. 
So that's awesome. Somebody drives, and then the rest of us just get half hammered on the way up. So it's like the early two thousands rap music that you can sing along with, like Colt forty five and you know ODP <laughs> and things of that nature. Like just jamming on the way up because like when I leave to go fish New York, like when we went last Friday, I left my house at nine o'clock at night and then got to the creek at twelve thirty to sit there and wait till seven to fish. Yeah, you know what? You I wanted to ask you and you just brought that up and I I quickly went through like Facebook and was looking at some stuff um on the bait page. Where did you go up to the Salmon River or were you at the Oak or where did you go for that? When? Uh, whenever you were at the gate, like you posted some picture about uh, like, that was Burt Dam. Okay. Yeah, that was the gate at Burt. You got to get okay. there hours, hours early and then wait for them to open the gate. Gotcha. And then once they open the gate, it's literally like a three, it's like a half mile foot race from the parking lot up to the dam to get your spot like you're and then you full, just full waders backpack rods net everything and just running and then you just never leave there all day yeah like and you're there at 5 a.m you can't fish till 6 37 o'clock i so was just doing that foot race just to get your spot to wait in the dark to be able to fish Nick, I, it's so hilarious because I could just imagine you would fucking so hate fishing yeah. up there. I was just thinking, I was, I was just pissed off listening to that. Just it's absolutely like, fucking livid. Like, we were fishing, we were fishing elk last week, and we literally were in. We had a stretch of stream to ourselves, and the closest people were like. 50 to 75 yards away and we left and nick was like there were too many people here i was like you were fucking nuts wow there was absolutely what's that that? did you take them to manchester uh did we go to manchester last i don't know i don't know where any of these places are i just like get in a car and i follow you and we said no we did we did manchester was um on a saturday yeah, Manchester was where we parked at Walnut, and we parked in like the general parking uh, yeah. area. And that was I. That was the first time I ever went steelhead fishing. Was in like the year of like 2003, and that's where I went with some ex's family. And that's when I said I'll never do this stupid fucking fishing again. Yeah, and you and you got me going back because like oh I guess there's other spots you can go. And I just thought everybody just. Crammed in, fucking tip to tip, dick to dick, and cast it over each other and cussed each other all day. And that's what steelhead fishing was. And I was like, this is dumb. I'm never doing this again. And here I am. And I have like a rod that's collecting dust in the in the corner so I can maybe use it one of these days. Maybe. We'll see. We got, we got plenty of time. They I know I'm not I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I, that was that was an impulse impulse buy for sure um just so i can you know if i if i don't buy a rod every six months then something's wrong with me i guess see i fish cremers from september through march or through may yeah well we're we're into bass fishing in april because you know early spawn and all that shit too so right And and i do like the flat water fishing because and the kayak, you can truly get away from people. And as Greg said, like sometimes it's just like I don't know. I I like my solitude 
when I'm fishing a lot of times. I did that. I did that for the first time this past spring up at Prescott fishing the flat. That was a ball. It's fun, man. You, I always, I got an extra kayak. If you ever want to come out with us, yeah, yeah. I got a kayak. And we, that's that's pretty much our our lives from like Nick said from like April until, I mean, we literally could have been fishing up until like two weeks ago if we really wanted to. Yeah. See, that's just yeah. that's just to get me through until steelhead season again. Yeah, that's the beauty of Pennsylvania. Like we've talked about this a couple times now, where it's like you literally have a fish you can be chasing every month of the year. Yeah, it's, we kill, it's awesome. We kill walleyes all summer. Yeah, I not haven't really got into that too much. It's not I've that a couple fun. buddies who always ask me to to go out. You know, we're trolling. I I don't know. I I enjoy the bass fishing. I think it's just because it's. Similar to the uh, saltwater shit I grew up doing. So, uh, you know, partial skill set. I mean, best case on there. if you were to get invited up, just take your kayak with you. And half the times in the summertime, we're done by nine o'clock, nine to 10 o'clock, and then just take it out after that. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I like fishing in general, man. So, like, yeah. I'm not opposed to it. It's just another thing I just don't know how to do. Right. Yeah, like we troll we troll Erie all summer. And like I mean, it's not as fun as other things, but like walleye tastes really good. So Right. Walleye does right. taste really good. <laughs> all right, we're gonna move on to two. Question two. All right. All right. All right. So, you know, I've had this ongoing love hate relationship with um sheets. You know, their local gas station that has the made-to-order food, mostly mostly over peanut butter sandwiches, but we're not going to get into that because I have no new updates. But I'm going to ask you, what is your sheets order? This could be to or from, but, like, what are you getting when you're stopping on the way it's, to grab some food? It's on the way home because country fair breakfast sandwiches are the shit on the way to the water. Ooh, uh, okay. I don't got I don't got one of them near me. I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm like the city. I think, the, there's, I there's think like the closest one we have is in Grove City. Right, but there's a ton of them in Erie, so Yep. Uh, but anyway, it's always the chicken quesadilla um with honey mustard and ranch. That's that's a pretty fucking that's a big ask if you got your hand on the wheel trying to like dip two sauces and a uh, quesadilla. They're mixed like, in. So it's just if crunchy. Okay. Okay. But that's still like you got that shit all over your shirt, don't you, by the end of the trip? Always the curl. Oh, uh, okay. Half, half the time I hit up the sheets in Edinburgh and I'm hitting the rest stop right there at Edinburgh to be able to eat it. Oh, you're <laughs> you're actually stopping to eat it. Look at you. Yeah. An aristocrat we got here. Like stopping know, right? instead of driving. Civilized. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured I'm at the end of the trip. I order some messy garbage too sometimes. And if that shit drips on my fishing shirt, it's already stained with shit anyway. Like, whatever. I'm I mean, then another... over and a cop's going to look at me like, you got a bunch of ranch dressing on your shirt. I'm like, have you seen me? Of course I fucking do. <laughs> I, I, if I was going to church, if I went to church, I'd probably have ranch dressing on my damn suit. Like, then there's other times. I am. There's other times I'm so late getting home from fishing, I'm still wearing my waders an hour and 45 minutes home because I got a race to get my kid off the bus. 
<laughs> that way, like if you got it, you don't have to take a rest stop. You can just let go right in the waiters and just dump them out when you get home. I don't home. do any stop. That's just shit and get that's it. That's what I'm saying. That's that's <laughs> smart. That's just I was fishing until crunch that's time. time that's that's pro- that's good use of your time. That is time management 101. Yeah. You got to get somewhere fast. Keep the waiters on and just let that warmth go whenever you need to, and you just dump it right out at the end of the day. Yeah, there's It'll been be all right. My waiters off at the bus stop. Throw a little ice all in them bitches when you're done. You'll be fine. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> all right. So number three, which this actually might be a, a pretty simple answer for you based off of our conversation. If now we do have it here that says lake, but I'll switch it for you for if you're going to a stream or a trip. What is the one rod and reel setup you're taking and the one bait, and you can only use that setup the entire day and only use that bait the entire day. You have unlimited of that bait, but it's the only thing you can use. Now we can do that for a lake if you want, or I can do both. It doesn't matter. If it's a lake, what, what, what am I fishing for in a lake? Bass? Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, I'll give you two. You're going to go to the lake. You can only take one rod, one, one reel, one bait. What are you taking? Seven foot, medium action, leg, uh, St. Croix Legend Walleye Series. That's what I got in um, spinning reel with a 2500 Stratic on it. And I'm throwing a um, brim colored chatterbait with a swim bait trailer on it all day. What are, what are you doing? You're from Pennsylvania. They're not called brim. They're bluegill. That's what the Come color on. is. <laughs> I, I know. I know. The female chatterbait. Um, what about if you're going? Um, I'm, th- I'm taking my center pin and I'm throwing a number, a side, a ten millimeter chartreuse speed for steelhead every time. Yeah, is that your is that your go to color for? That's my go to color. My go to size. Okay. That's, That's what all of my big fish have been on. I have I have beads in my bag. I might be throwing some of those tomorrow. Did I did I send I didn't uh, send you a picture of the massive brown trout I caught last year? Did I? Uh, no. I'll, I'll have to send you that when we get off. All right. I caught my uh, I caught my personal best brown trout last year. It was just it was right around twenty pounds. Holy shit! It was That's enormous. Awesome. Uh, on the oak or up on the salmon? Niagara River. On Niagara River, yeah, sorry. Um, all right, go ahead, Nick. All right, the question number four. If you have one, who is your favorite fishing professional? And I will say that could be like a YouTube person, that could be a blogger, that could be anything because I can Ellie. Some, okay, cool. Sometimes when we're talking to people who aren't as much into bass, yeah, I, Ike's cool, man. I, I get it. All that dude. Man, he's like, I, either he's done a lot of cocaine or none at all because he doesn't need it. I, I don't, I can't fucking tell. High on life. I guess so, man. Like sometimes it's too much. I'll watch some of his videos and I'll listen to it. And it's just like, he's, ex, he's been excited for the kissing exact same fish for yeah. like 30 years of his life. And it's just like insanely excited. So I, I'm wondering if it like, do you think it ever became like just a part of his persona? Not, 
Yeah, it, it's like that's his brand. You know what I mean? Like, so now he just has to fucking do it. And he goes home to his wife and he goes, I'm really sick of fucking having to be so excited over this, this <laughs> same pound and a half bass that I just caught out of the New Jersey River. <laughs> like, I wish I could just be like, yeah, that's cool and throw it back in. But I can't because then like my sponsors will be like, what the fuck? You didn't like right. jump and holler and fucking jump in the fucking lake after you caught a fish. What's your problem? Uh, we're dropping you. Sorry, yeah, Mike. One time I watched him catch a catfish on a spinnerbait. It was pretty awesome when I was a kid. Yeah, he's he's still a, a pretty good ambassador to the sport yeah. all around. Does a lot for it. Getting people yeah. into it. One of the, uh, sure. the coolest professional I probably ever met was Wu Days. Um, I met him one time at a Bass Pro after the Harrisburg show, and we talked crappy fishing for an hour. He's like, I live and breathe bass fishing all the time, but I fucking love crappy fishing. That's cool. That was cool. Like, even though he was a he was a fucking tournament bass angler, he liked talking crappy fishing. I feel like for the most part, a lot of those guys, especially nowadays, just because of like social media and everything, I feel like not saying, I mean, I never met a professional, but in just terms of how things were from like, say the early nineties to how they are now, I can, it's just like a massive difference of how much more open these guys are to talk about what they're catching fish on and, you know, patterns and all that kind of stuff versus like they have, in- they have, <laughs> they got social media and sponsors, you know, and some yeah. of them are linked together. I'm not saying they don't catch fish on them, but like, you know, it's, it's, you got to look at it in that perspective, too. They kind of have to mention the people who are paying some of their bills and stuff like that. But is paying them to fish with it. And people are watching the educational side of things, too. So, yeah, like, yeah. the more views and shit. Like, before, I can't remember who the hell it was. I was listening to another podcast recently, and they were kind of talking about that. Like, back in the day, it was closed off because it's just – you had your sponsor and that's all you that's all you needed there is these pro guys and, th- and that's it and now it's a whole different scenario where you have to like show face and you have to do this and you have to do that so you you kind of are expected to be more open with it because it grows your brand like you know they were kind of in the shadows and like you knew who the good fishermen were but like they were like almost meant to be seen, not heard to a certain extent. And now it's like the opposite. Like you want to hear from them a lot more. And it's just, I guess, how the world is with, um, you know, marketing and promotion and, and everything else now. Yeah. Right. Well, and like one of the things I love most, like even though I said I love catching fish in front of people, like this, the shows we're doing this year, I don't know if you've ever been to the Niagara Sports Show. No. It, it's like 90% teaching like seminars and then like 10% stuff for sale and trips and stuff like that. Like there's like 12 classrooms and each hour they rotate and there's a different seminar in that classroom every hour. That's, that's really cool actually for, for four days. Just go and like soak up as much knowledge as you possibly yep. can. Yeah, it's great. And it's, I mean, it's such a wide variety of things. Like, it's everything from like trolling kings on Lake Ontario to that's actually where I learned about euro nymphing. 
was from a guy up there talking about it at one of the seminars. I watched an hour seminar on urinymphing, and I had never done it or even at that point I had hardly even fly fished. Yeah, that's the great thing about these days. Like I learned exclusively how to do that from like YouTube. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> just so find just, just find some dudes. You know, like Lance Egan and some of these other dudes. You're like competitive fly fishing. You know, Euro Czech whatever European nymphing dudes, and they have two three hour long seminars on YouTube. Right, and it just kind of you know before you just had to know somebody like when yeah. i got into fishing you went out with other dudes who knew how to fish and that's how you learn how to fish and that's the only way you learn how to fish unless you just had a shit ton of money which we didn't as kids to like hire guides all the time and 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 grill them and stuff like that so it's a it's a it's a it's a unique world we're living in yeah that's one thing we're looking forward to like we're doing the niagara show this year as well it's the it's gonna be such a marathon because it's the week after Harrisburg, so like no break, one straight to the next. But um, we're actually gonna do seminars and like teach people how to rig up center pins and like how to rig up float rigs and like how to actually do the things we're talking about in the seminars. That only a- helps you, man, which is great. I mean, it helps everybody, but like right as as a brand, yeah. Instead of just selling shit. Right. And I mean, like, let me well, teach you how to use our stuff correctly. It right. only will help you in the long run. Yeah. That's like the, that's when I said I caught my last four smallmouth on a center pin was I was meeting a guy to give him his baits that he had bought off me. And he was telling me how he had just got a center pin and he was still trying to learn how to use it. Well, where we had met to do the baits was right at a dam that I knew had smallmouth in it. So I took my center pin out of my car, rigged it all up with a slip with a float and a twitch minnow. And we went down over to the dam and I was showing him how to cast. And we spent like an hour and a half down there and ended up catching a bunch of smallmouth on two and a half inch twitch minnows. And like, you know, hopefully he'll learn a bunch or he learned how to do it then. So then in return, he uses his plastics that he bought. He, I mean, like I've told people before, plastics wear out. So the better you're doing on my plastics, the better I do, because then you're going to buy more plastics. So ultimately, the better I can teach you how to use them, the better it loops back around way in the long run for me to sell, hopefully sell more baits and the more people you're going to tell about it. I don't even think it's a long run, man. I think it's a short run because the people who are listening to you like at events like that are going to go right to you to buy some baits after they figure out, you know, after they listen to what you're doing. Right. Hopefully. And I get to fulfill a lifelong dream this year at the sports show. I get to fish the hog trough. (laughs) That's awesome. I know. (laughs) That's like the part I'm looking forward to the most. Is I'm going to be doing a demonstration in the hog trough. That's super cool. <laughs> have you ever been to a show like that, Nick, where they have a hog trough? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Imagine fishing the fish tank at like Bass Pro or Cabela's. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's where they always do Perfect. like all the bass seminars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, last, of those, so. last question for you. Uh, Money is not an object for this question. What is your dream fishing vacation? 
Like, where would you go? What would you chase? All that stuff. It's either New Zealand for the big rainbows they have over there in that one uh, channel, or it's Alaska on a drift boat trip for Steelhead where they do the the multi-day drift boat trips. It would definitely be something pinning. Definitely for a trout species. Actually, I take that back. Money's not an issue, right? Nope. It's South Africa for great white sharks. <laughs> that's hundred percent. Have you ever? Oh, that's about- insane. Money is an issue. That's never gonna happen. Come on. <laughs> right. Have you ever? Have you ever seen the National Geographic documentary where they had the seal, like the foam seal, and they were getting great white sharks to hit it top water? Yeah. That's what I want. I want to catch a great white shark on a top water. uh that actually would be pretty uh pretty wild i just saw actually i was scrolling through instagram earlier today and i saw a video of uh uh, a mako jumping like 15 20 feet out of the water after it hit like a bait or something it was absolutely crazy well that sharks before but never a great white so that's on the list there you go. Uh, well, Adam, that actually is going to wrap us up here for for the podcast. Um, as Nick was already hinting at, where can uh, you know our seventeen listeners uh, find all of your stuff? We might have twenty three now. I don't know. Oh, like, right. you, yeah, you might be. You might have to buy some new molds <laughs> after after this gets out there. So we've been waiting on. Uh getting our complete inventory done before we launch our website. So we're still just on Facebook right now, limestone bait company um, or Adam Palmer on Facebook or Instagram. Um, we also have a TikTok that's under limestone bait company. I have a couple of viral videos there from Lake trout from the Niagara river. People seem to love those. Yeah. It's uh we got a couple of videos with a couple million views. That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't jumped into the TikTok game yet. I feel like I'm trying to hold myself off from doing it because I already waste enough time looking at Instagram reels and everything, but it definitely seems like TikTok is a platform that could really get some exposure. So Instagram reels are just TikToks from a month ago. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I just Uh, learned how to use Facebook last week, so yeah. Yeah, next to it. Yeah, Nick's doing really good on the social media stuff. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, that's going to, we'll wrap it up af- with that. Um, again, want to thank you very much for coming on. It's been, it's been fun. Uh, this is, these are the kind of episodes that we want to have. It's something that gave us a little bit of knowledge on a, a realm of fishing that I don't think either one of us really knew anything about and to, you know, promote your, promote your plastics and your baits and stuff that you know you're you're producing and getting out there for everyone absolutely nice well we're gonna call it at that everyone have a good night nick i'll be actually i'll I'll send both of you a bunch of uh, fish picks tomorrow if i have a good day so good i'll send you some job side picks so you know what like a working man looks like i guess uh i prefer not to see that all right, <laughs> all right, that. guys. Hey, everyone, have a good night, and uh, thanks again, Adam. Greatly appreciate it. All you right, too. thanks, Adam.
Yep, Later, see you later.